putting an end to the war on coal. <laughs> Gonna have clean coal. Really clean coal. I can think of nothing cleaner than coal. <laughs> Why? I got the feeling that something right. No names. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From the Pacifica middle Radio with you. in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People Powered Radio in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe every day of the week on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us. Surrounded by coal miners and corporate industry titans during a short address and signing ceremony on Tuesday at the Environmental Protection Agency, President Donald Trump signed what he is describing as the Energy Independence Executive Order. In fact, it's intended to begin rolling back much of President Obama's climate change initiatives and legacy. As The New York Times reports, Trump heralded the order, quote, as a way to promote energy independence and to restore thousands of lost coal industry jobs. The order directs the agency to start the legal process of withdrawing and rewriting the Clean Power Plan, the centerpiece of Mr. Obama's policies to fight global warming. The order also takes aim at a suite of narrower but significant Obama-era climate and environmental policies, including lifting a short-term ban on new coal mining on public lands. The executive order does not, however, address the United, uh, the United States' participation in the 2015 Paris Agreement, the landmark accord that committed nearly every country on the planet to take steps to reduce climate-altering pollution. But, as the Times notes, experts charge that if the Trump program is enacted, it will all but ensure the U.S. cannot meet its clean air commitments under the landmark climate change accord. During his remarks today, Trump did not even use the words climate change or global warming. I suppose the fact that he didn't lie again by calling it all a hoax created by the Chinese could perhaps be seen as somewhat of a victory here. The Times reports that... Trump advertised today's moves as a way to decrease the nation's dependence on imported fuels and revive the flagging coal industry. But energy economists say the uh, the order falls short of both of those goals, in part 
because the United States already relies on domestic sources for the coal and natural gas that fires most of the nation's power plants. We don't import coal, said Robert Stavins, an energy economist at Harvard University. So in terms of the clean power plan, this has nothing to do with so-called energy independence whatsoever, he said. Obama's former EPA administrator, Gina McCarthy, responded to Trump's executive order in a statement charging the effort is, quote, not just dangerous, it's embarrassing to us and our businesses on a global scale to be dismissing opportunities for new technologies, economic growth and U.S. leadership. Senator Ed Markey, Democrat of uh, Massachusetts, a longtime champion of climate policies in Congress, called Trump's actions a declaration of war on American leadership on climate change and our clean energy future. And writing last night over at Mother Jones, climate reporter Rebecca Lieber reported, indeed, Tuesday's actions are just the start of a long fight over the federal government's role in confronting climate change, undoing the regulations already on the books from Obama's clean power plan to the methane rule could take several years and Trump will face fierce resistance throughout the protracted fight. Green groups are already threatening legal action, Lieber reports. Joining us to discuss Trump's executive order hoping to dismantle Obama's climate legacy and somehow or another bring back coal jobs, what, no provisions to bring back the whale oil industry, uh, is Rebecca Lieber. She's a climate, environment, and energy politics reporter over at Mother Jones uh, at their D.C. bureau. She previously reported for the New Republic and Grist. Rebecca Lieber, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for having me on. It's been, Pre- a, been a busy week. Uh, a, a busy week, a uh, busy couple of months, unfortunately, it seems. It never stops. All right, Re- Rebecca, we'll get into some of the specific uh, details in this order shortly. But uh, your order, your article uh, on, on Trump's executive order was headlined, Trump just released his plan to gut Obama's climate policies. It's worse than you thought. Now... I have been warning, uh, we have been warning on this show uh, with my uh, partner here, uh, Desi Doyen, on our Green News Report about this day for a very long time. It's one of the reasons that I was a lonely voice before the election, sort of warning about the dangers of Trump's, uh, the possibility of a Trump presidency, what it was likely to do to the climate at a very key moment for this planet and humanity, frankly. But all of that said... After reviewing the details so far that we know from this executive order, how difficult and arduous it's going to actually be to roll back a lot of these Obama climate policies and regulations, not to mention how much renewable energy is moving forward and emissions are falling no matter what, you know, no matter how much uh, the Trump denial administration uh, uh, makes these moves and then add to that. The various incompetent failures, frankly, from that we've seen from, you know, Trump's travel ban, his attempt to kill Obamacare and his uh, other you know failed executive ex- efforts here. I'm actually somewhat less concerned today, believe it or not, about this than I was a, a few days or months ago. So, Rebecca Lieber, am I just naively grasping for some kind of positive news here Uh, somehow, or is this going to be a lot harder than uh, the Trump administration thinks to roll back these these Obama policies? Well, you're right that it's harder to roll back some of these policies than Trump has uh, presented it to the public as. Um, The way um, he framed it in his speech today was that he'd immediately put coal miners back to work. And I'm sure we'll get into that in in just a bit. Mm -hmm. But 
As far as him lifting um, much of Obama's uh, climate agenda in a single day, uh, that's uh, you're right that he can't do that. There are a lot of limitations because uh, the the regulations that the Obama administration put forward are required by law. And um, the Supreme Court, in fact, has upheld on multiple occasions that the Clean Air Act um, applies to carbon emissions and that the EPA, if it finds carbon emissions to be a danger to humans, Mm -hmm. that it is required by the Clean Air Act to regulate it. Now, the debate is over how it regulates it, but that's uh, that uh, finding called the endangerment finding uh, that was uh, upheld by the courts is something that even the right doesn't disagree with that mm-hmm. that exists and it is something that uh, the EPA has to contend with and um, that's why uh, on f- the formal rules that uh, for the clean power plan methane uh, restrictions and so on uh, Trump can't just sign them away mm-hmm. uh, it has to go through a formal process and a public comment period and um, he also uh, has to likely come up with something else. And if he doesn't, that would be something that environmentalists sue over. Uh, and they've already threatened the lawsuits. And, uh, yeah, you, you reported to Mother Jones about uh, some of those uh, plans to challenge these in court. If he doesn't come up with some of these things that he needs to do, or uh, in regard, for example, to the endangerment finding that requires uh i guess requires the epa well explain the 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 endangerment finding just because i think that's something that's important for people to understand yeah this is something i've been keeping a close eye on because it's clearly high on uh climate deniers wish list for mm-hmm. what they want to undo um so the endangerment finding uh basically got it, had its origins in the supreme court telling the epa uh you that carbon emissions apply under the Clean Air Act. You just have to determine whether the science supports that it harms human health. And the science does support that, Mm -hmm. that climate change is caused by humans and also harms humans. So uh, the EPA put forward that endangerment finding uh, in the Obama administration. And um, conservatives, um, especially, uh, you've seen... The climate denier crowd uh, just last week at their annual conference were talking about how they would like the EPA to reverse that finding. Um, So there's one interesting story that's come out in the last few days is that uh, this group is actually upset with Scott Pruitt, the EPA administrator, because this today's executive order does not take any action on the endangerment finding. Um, right. It's not clear how it could, but uh, they they want to go even further because it's essentially the underpinning for the EPA's regulations on climate change. I mean, he would have to come out and say, oh, uh, the, the science that we have uh, uh, reported on and pointed to for years at the EPA is is wrong. And here is why it's wrong. Here's this other science that counters it. 
that would be, aside from a long process, probably really difficult and difficult to convince a court of, since, as you noted, uh, this is an order you know, by the Supreme Court, essentially, uh, to enforce the, the Clean Air Act if they find these uh, things, uh, carbon emissions, for example, to be dangerous. And that has been done. That's a done deal. I'm not even sure how they could roll it back. And this is one of the reasons why I'm saying, well, maybe I'm not quite as concerned about this as as I was uh, in, in previous uh, days and weeks and months. Also, the order, uh, Rebecca Lieber, does not withdraw the U.S. from the Paris Climate Agreement, uh, but it does order the EPA, as I understand it, to begin doing away with the, with the Clean Power Plan, uh, which, among other things, includes regulation of emissions from existing power plants. So, even without formal withdrawal from the uh, withdrawal from the Paris Agreement, is there any way that the U.S. can actually keep its commitment to the Paris uh, Climate Agreement if the Clean Power Plan is rolled back? There is a lot of debate over that. I think um, there are some arguments that the way, um, given economic trends and prices of clean energy and natural gas coming down, that it could be possible, and and obviously you see states and cities continuing to take action. Um, so uh, I guess I guess I I'm not I haven't looked at it so closely to know where to come down on that. But um, it I think with regards to Paris, the the thing to remember is it doesn't just matter whether the U.S. formally withdraws from the agreement. There are plenty of ways to sabotage it or to uh, weaken commitments. Um, one of them is to not deliver on Obama's promise of climate aid mm-hmm. to foreign countries, and mm-hmm. that's something that Trump is intent on uh, not following through on. So there are plenty of ways to damage those that agreement without saying we're going to formally withdraw the uh there are, we've been reporting on you know other countries china and indonesia and so forth uh, who are in fact taking fairly major steps to reduce emissions close coal plants and so forth um in, in your reporting uh do you get the sense rebecca that the world uh you know will be following uh donald trump and scott pruitt's climate denial lead here or or are they simply going to ignore Donald Trump? They're already making moves, it seems, uh, to meet their agreement, uh, to meet their uh, commitments to the Paris Agreement. Uh, what is the sense that you get from you know the rest of the world and how they look at the U.S. here and what Donald Trump is doing? The big players in the Paris Agreement have all signaled they continue to remain committed Um you have um, for for China and India, for example, they have their own reasons that they want to fight climate change and uh, pursue clean energy, and mm-hmm. reasons that don't have as much to do with U.S. domestic politics. But I think um, you're seeing you're going to see the rest of the world still rally around uh, around this agreement, even though I think the U.S. pulling back from its commitments could could weaken it somewhat. Um, And I think it ties together with uh, a point about the domestic industry as well, uh, that I think Trump and uh, the public actually overplays the role that the president has in determining uh, what energy markets do. Mm. 
And um, that was a big takeaway the last few days is Trump, you have Trump on one hand promising that coal will come back immediately. Uh, Mike Pence earlier declared the war on coal to be over. (laughs) But coal executives, you had Robert Murray, who is a very close ally of uh, Trump and was actually at the EPA today, uh, say that actually this won't bring, let's temper this, this won't bring miners back to work. And that's because of economic trends that have uh, little to do with environmental regulation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even the coal guys, now that they're, you know, that they're getting their way, I think Mitch McConnell said, well, we're not going to bring the jobs back right away. And uh, you, you're, uh, Robert Murray, uh, that you, uh, you quote there, said, uh, I really don't know how far the coal industry can be brought back. Well, yeah, that's uh, Des, you of, had a question. Yeah, yeah uh, hi, Rebecca. That's one of the things that I find very curious about this, about why the push for this, despite the fact that the big coal guys all say it's not going to bring it back. I mean, do you have any insight into into this disconnect between the rhetoric from Trump and the rhetoric from the actual big coal owners? Yeah, I think we need to separate out what benefits uh, coal owners and coal companies and what benefits individual miners. Uh, uh, I think the it's it's quite exaggerated that this would put out-of-work miners back to work or put uh, out-of-commission coal mines uh, back into functioning order, and that just won't happen. And that's what uh, you see coal executives saying, we are not bringing these coal mines back online. That's just unfeasible. <laughs> um there is there is a disconnect though, and I think um, it's not something. If if you just watch the the live stream or were at the event earlier at the EPA, that's not the message you would get. But uh, that's the reality. Yeah, I agree. And also, there was a, another part of this uh, this order that Trump signed today about lifting the federal moratorium on coal leasing. Could could you really quick explain basically an overview of what that is and and what that means? So Obama, uh, towards the end of his administration, announced a moratorium on leasing uh, coal mining on public lands, and that was until uh, the BLM could reform its uh, leasing program that hasn't been updated in decades. And, 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 and wasn't the problem with the leasing program that the that the coal companies were were basically using a trick of accounting to not pay the actual amount of royalties that that they were owed to the taxpayer? It was. It's essentially uh, the way it exists. It subsidizes coal um, coming at the expense of taxpayers because okay. you're not factoring in. Uh, obviously climate costs, but it's also just very cheap pricing for leasing uh, public lands to these companies and um, don't account for, they don't account for climate costs. So uh, the reason that the Obama administration actually perhaps had the political capital to do this is because coal leasing on public lands has slowed substantially, and that's coming back to those market trends mm-hmm. that natural gas has been out competing coal and and these jobs uh, as as has been pointed out are simply not coming back these coal jobs and but I think you make a great point Rebecca that the coal companies themselves 
uh, who are, you know, getting as much coal, uh, you know, as they used to, but with a lot less manpower by, you know, mountaintop removal, blowing up mountains and automation. so forth, automation, um, that that this is about the coal companies. This is not about the coal miners. I would be shocked if there was any sort of substantive uh, increase in, in coal mining jobs, even from uh, this administration and following this order. But uh, I want to talk about something that's, uh, I think, important and also not well understood, uh, including by myself, which is the social cost of carbon. Uh, and that is uh, described in this executive order uh, that, uh, that the administration should revisit the current social cost of carbon. Um, basically, that is, you know, the estimate for this that is used to justify uh, either getting rid of regulations or or putting regulations in place. Can you explain exactly what this social cost of carbon is? Because I think it's a very important but not well understood co- uh, uh, concept. So the history of the social cost of carbon uh, also dates back to the Bush administration, like much of what we're seeing. And a court decided that uh, the EPA had to consider the uh costs and benefits of uh, Bush's fuel efficiency standards, which essentially said that global warming emissions has zero cost because it's too hard to estimate. And uh, the court said that uh, the value of carbon emissions reduction is certainly not zero. So the EPA uh, had to come up with a calculation for what the cost of carbon would be for uh, human health and future generations. And and that measure is very controversial for uh, Trump's crowd because it it is included in uh, rulemaking and policymaking when looking at uh, the, the costs and benefits of climate regulations. So that's so when we're talking about uh, the social cost of carbon, we're talking about things that are not uh, necessarily, uh, you know, n- not taxed. Uh, for example, if you burn uh, X amount of carbon, uh, that it will cost in medical uh, asthma. Well, right. And, uh, uh, increased asthma rates, increased rates of cancer, lung cancer, heart disease and stroke. These have been uh, directly attributed to air pollution. And so that's a, a a cost that the Obama administration said had to be taken into account for new projects and new regulations. But uh, if I understand it, Rebecca, and and what Trump is looking at doing here is somehow changing the current estimated cost uh, or or doing away with it entirely. Do you do you yet understand what what they're trying to do if they even know what they're trying to do? <laughs> Yeah, this is something I'm I'm still looking into. Um, we got the text of the executive order um, mm-hmm. much later uh, after all of these press conferences. But um, so Trump is ordering the EPA to ignore the Obama calculation for social cost of carbon. But uh, you still have a court decision from 2007 saying that the EPA has to consider a cost of carbon. So what uh, the Trump administration is likely to do is is reevaluate it and come up with a new, probably much lower number. Um, I, yeah. But I don't have much more mm-hmm. information on that at the moment. Um, it is unclear on, on a lot of these 
uh, orders today, these actions, how the, what the final answer looks like, because uh, what Trump just said is, we're going to revise this. And um, on the clean power plan and the social cost of carbon, it's unclear what the final product, if any, will look like. Okay, now I have one more, uh, another question for you on this. In your article, uh, you mentioned in the uh, the press availability on the phone press conference that they had the night before yes. that the unidentified senior White House official seemed to have no idea about the economic impacts of climate change. Things like, oh, you know, sea level rise, inundating our coastal cities and our naval installations and stuff like that. Um, can you? And then you said in your article that you thought, or I think it maybe was in Twitter, that that maybe there would be an avenue for litigation on this. Can you explain what happened in that conference, press conference, and, and what that what you mean by that? Yeah, there was this amazing uh, moment, uh, really surreal moment on the <laughs> call yesterday where reporters were asking this uh, senior official who insisted on being on background uh, that uh, whether climate change is man-made and what the Trump administration uh, thought of climate change. And he uh, was, until that point, really sticking to a script and the talking points about energy independence and job creation. And he he started uh, to stumble at that, that point and say, why does it matter what, I'm paraphrasing here, but why does it matter what I think about climate change? Um, and saying, send me, send me the research on things like sea level rise. Really? Um, yes. <laughs> so it was, it was this, it was a great back and forth and uh, a really strange moment. Um, and that one that was uh, repeated somewhat today in, in uh, Sean Spicer's press briefing, where he was also asked about Trump's opinion on climate change. Um, and what was your Question. Oh, basically, when you said that it uh, that it might open them up to an avenue of litigation on that, and I wasn't clear on how that would work. What they say, what their yeah. responses were, if they believe it's a hoax, and, and, and sort of the way with the travel yeah. ban, a lot of the stuff that Trump and the administration folks have said have then been used in court. Against them. Against them. Yeah, um, it, that's exactly it. It's uh not uh, definitely going to be part of environmentalist legal strategy at this point, but it's definitely something that lawyers have told me they're looking at, huh, okay. that uh, Trump's statements that climate change is a hoax and the administration um, bluntness that they they think uh, the science isn't settled on man-made warming, um, that that could come into play because the EPA at the end of the day is required by law to base its decisions on science and the best available science. So if they're withdrawing rulemaking and and finalized rules just because of political uh, point of view, that could be a problem for the Trump administration. All right, I got two quick questions uh, before we wrap up here, Rebecca Lieber. Um, one, uh, we, we've, we've touched on various items in this executive order. Uh, he, tr Trump does roll back. Uh, there are a few things that he can roll back with the stroke of a pen uh, that, you know, can't necessarily be challenged. But is there anything that we hit here? I know there's uh, the consideration of methane emissions. Is there anything that we that we haven't hit here that jumps out that most uh, troubles or or concerns you uh, from this executive order so far? Well, um, interesting question. I think, uh, I, I'm not sure this is 
Well, okay. <laughs> I have an answer. Okay. Um, it's the first time I've been asked that. Um, one thing that I think, uh, or a few things that haven't gotten as much notice in, in this action is that Trump is directing all of the federal government to uh, rescind, basically, its its thinking and, and incorporation of climate change into its decision-making. So this doesn't just affect the EPA. This this applies to the State Department and defense. Mm. And Trump is saying, don't consider climate change a national security threat, even though you have military officials acknowledge that it is, and that this is something they look at. His own Secretary of Defense, for his own Defense Secretary, for example, yeah. Exactly. And I I think this is a a pretty um, vague point in this executive order, but I think it tells you a lot about the Trump administration's approach to climate change, um, and especially in contrast to what Obama did. And and this was possibly one of his, his bigger successes on climate change is how he aligned the entire um, federal branch, for the most part, behind uh, thinking and incorporating climate change into a comprehensive strategy, because it is a comprehensive issue that affects Mm -hmm. all uh, areas of life and government policy. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's something that hasn't gotten as much attention at this moment. Uh, It's something I'm definitely keeping an eye on and doing additional reporting on. Lastly, uh, in addition to uh, climate change and global warming, words that he did not utter during this uh, (laughs) amazing moment at the EPA today, uh, I, I think he also did not talk about renewable energy and the renewable energy revolution. I don't think he mentioned wind. I don't think he mentioned solar. uh, Well, you know, the sun doesn't shine here and the wind doesn't blow. We have to import our sun and wind from other countries. And this executive, while he's signing an executive order (laughs) for energy independence, doesn't even bring it up. Uh, Nonetheless, Emissions, Rebecca, uh, greenhouse gas emissions seem to be dropping both in the U.S. and around the world with or without Trump's say so here. So, you know, thanks to cleaner anyway, cleaner natural gas and a, uh, a renewable energy revolution with wind and solar. Can uh, Donald Trump really stop that decline or can he at best slow it at this point? In other words, are, are we going where we're going? Uh, does the does the world get it even if Donald Trump doesn't? I think we'll see renewables. There, there's no real clear sign that that is uh, going to slow down just because Trump doesn't believe in the wind or solar energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, the trends that we've seen, there's no reason to think those will change, that coal is struggling against cheap natural gas and cheap wind and solar. And um, I am just incredibly curious how coal country responds after uh, feeling, I guess, essentially being duped uh, into thinking that these jobs will come back. Um, And you see that on the global uh, the global level as well, that countries are promising, at least for now, that they are moving on uh, with their targets. Rebecca Lieber, climate, environment and energy politics reporter at Mother Jones's D.C. Bureau. Uh, you can find her work, of course, at MotherJones.com uh, and find her and follow her on the on the Twitters at R.E.B., as in Rebecca, Reb Lieber.
L-E-B-E-R. Rebecca, really appreciate you joining us here today and uh, trying to make some sense of this senseless situation. Uh, hope you don't mind if we uh, give you a shout again in the future. Yep, free chatting. Thanks. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, Rebecca. All right, a quick break, and we are back with uh, with a little bit more on this and some other stuff going on today. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I'm still running against the wind. What do they have against the wind? Anyway, Desi Doyen, I don't get it. Well, you know what I think. What do you think? I think that any dollar that is not spent given to the fossil fuel industry is a dollar that they are not happy about losing, so they will do anything to get that dollar back. Yeah, I think they will. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, of course, with uh, Desi Doyen there as well. Uh, A couple more points. We've got some audio from this... um, This announcement just wrapped up an hour or two here before we went to air from Donald Trump announcing his energy independence executive order, which, by the way, I think we've kind of been energy independent here for a a while, haven't we? (laughs) With uh, at least when they talk about energy independence now, notice they're not they don't talk about American independence. They talk about. North American energy independence so we right. can because that's a weasel word in order to include Canada and Mexico yep. in there so that you know people who aren't paying attention average Americans who are too busy to know this stuff that they won't recognize that what they're actually talking about is importing foreign oil from Canada and Mexico who are still foreign countries and uh, one of the things that uh, obviously he put uh, Trump put this notion of jobs up front that this was all about jobs and CNN I noticed last night kind of played into it in their coverage uh, at CNN.com. President Donald Trump will sign a sweeping executive order Tuesday at the Environmental Protection Agency, which looks to curb the federal government's enforcement of climate regulations by putting American jobs above addressing climate change. In other words, taking exactly the press release framing of the White House and putting it into it, into an article as if that meant something, which it doesn't. The rest of the article was actually, you know, pretty good. And it said, you know, however, it will not uh, do this, et cetera, et cetera. The coal jobs are not coming back. But, yeah, they put that framing right at the top. If you only read the lead of their uh, of their piece, you would think that, well, climate regulations must be costing American jobs. And of course, that's not true. I mean, one of the things that has been remarkable about the fracking revolution is that, remember, fracking also 
applies to oil extraction as well. Mm -hmm. America has now become one of the world leaders in oil and gas exports. So when folks talk about... For good or bad. Well, yeah, for good or ill. I mean, we're just talking on a market basis, on an energy market basis. When they talk about, you know, reducing our dependence on foreign oil, on foreign sources of energy, they're flat out lying about that because oil and gas are traded on the global market. And any activity that we do here will not change the amount of oil that we import because our oil industry likes to export a lot of that oil as well. So it doesn't stay here. And that Im- and, and that importing of uh, oil through the Keystone XL pipeline that uh, Trump has been pushing for, pretending that this is going to bring thousands and thousands of jobs and energy independence, most of that oil is set to ship overseas. It's going to come in uh, across the border from Canada, go all the way down to refineries, and then out the door down the uh, Gulf of Mexico and right. America out to gets, Asia. Canada gets the profits. America gets the pollution. Our friend David Roberts over at Vox uh, tweeted during the during the signing ceremony uh, today with Donald Trump at the EPA when he had all of these coal miners around him. Uh, David Roberts said, Nothing in Trump's newly signed executive order will put a single coal miner back to work. The use of these people as political props is so grotesque. Oh, it's cruel. Uh, and uh, here's a bit. We didn't get to play uh, any of this. So let uh, me, I just want to, yeah. real quick, David Roberts is from Kentucky. He is from coal Coal country. country. He knows what he is talking about, about how cruel and what an insult this really is going to be when coal industry finds, when coal miners and coal country find out that there is nothing there for them. He's playing them for suckers, just the way they, uh, you know, have been playing their voters for suckers concerning Obamacare when they actually have the ability to do away with the dastardly Obamacare. They can't do it because, you know what, it's not that dastardly. So, uh, you know, facts and reality have a way of punching you in the face uh, when you begin to get out of politics and into governing. In any case, uh, here was here was Trump, a a clip from this uh, this announcement today before his signing ceremony at the Environmental Protection Agency. My administration is putting an end to the war on coal. Going to have clean coal, really clean coal. <laughs> sure nope. they are. With today's executive action, I am taking historic steps to lift the restrictions on American energy, to reverse government intrusion, and to cancel job-killing regulations. <laughs> First, today's energy independence action calls for an immediate reevaluation of the so-called Clean Power Plan. Perhaps no single regulation threatens our miners, energy workers, and companies more than this crushing attack on American industry. Crushing. Second, we are lifting the ban on federal leasing for coal production. Third, we are lifting job-killing restrictions on the production of oil, natural gas, clean coal, and shale energy. And finally, we are returning power to the states My action today is the latest in a series of steps to create American jobs and to grow American wealth. We're ending the theft of American prosperity and rebuilding our beloved country. That theft of American prosperity with a stock market that is at record highs. Yes. (laughs) 
It's the Fox News administration. I mean, it is as as if a guy who has been sitting around watching Fox News for the last 10 or 15 years suddenly became president and started repeating all of the nonsense that he heard on five canceled job killing uh, uh, regulations. Uh, He doesn't understand this stuff at all. I think he actually thinks maybe that he's telling the truth here about bringing these coal jobs back and clean coal. He actually believes this stuff. I yeah, think. I don't think he has any real understanding of energy markets, and I sincerely believe that his staff is not teaching him about it. They're not educating him about if any of this about stuff. It. If they well, know if about it. If they know it. about it. That's a good point, because that's something that Rebecca did bring up, that the senior White House administration official on that press call did not seem to have any understanding, perhaps no intellectual yeah. curiosity in the impact of climate change and the impact of greenhouse gases on the oil industry, too. I mean, even Exxon, in their own internal planning, even Exxon has planned for sea level rise as it will impact their offshore drilling platforms. Here's from uh, from Rebecca's uh, article. She said a senior White House official st- uh, uh, stuck to the script until reporters asked him whether administration staffers who worked on the order, on this executive order, accepted the science behind global warming and sea level rise and the research showing that climate change makes extreme weather worse. Quote, I would like to see that research, said the official, who spoke on background to reporters. Send it to me. Yeah, I know. So, you know, whether he knew about it or not or whether he was just lying and pretending he didn't know about doesn't know about the research that uh, climate change makes extreme weather worse. Really? Or that sea level rise will will cost billions of dollars for all of our coastal properties and infrastructure. I mean, it's 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 pretty remarkable. There's one quick thing that I want to add about the impact of regulations on jobs, because that's a theme that the Republicans and the oil industry, the fossil fuel industry, they continue to hammer this idea, except they say a completely different thing on their Securities and Exchange Commission filings. This is a new analysis by Reuters mm. that came out earlier today. They said... The top U.S. oil and gas companies have been telling their shareholders that regulations have little impact on their business, according to a Reuters review of U.S. security filings from the top oil producers. Fifteen of the biggest U.S. oil and gas producers said compliance with current regulations is not impacting their operations or their financial conditions. Really? I really? thought these were job-killing, job-crushing uh, regulations that we needed to re- return to American prosperity. These uh, are really with. only job-killing regulations for the clean energy industry. I think that this is actually a very underhanded under way to undermine the clean energy oh, industry. Oh, that it, that it will? Yeah, yeah it's to yeah, kill those jobs. Um, it, w- at one point he said uh, in that clip there, this is about returning power to the states. Well, Obama's clean power plan actually allows states to figure out how to do all of this stuff. Oh, yeah. how, to, it was... how to curb emissions, how to curb uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions from power plants, from cars and stuff. It it leaves it up to them, does it, was, it not? Each it was state? very individually tailored to every single of the 50 states, every single one of their individual situations, their individual power mixes, their individual weather conditions, their individual uh, resources that they have available to them at the moment, whether it was wind or solar or geothermal. Uh, these were extremely 
explicitly and exceedingly tailored to each state, and it had a lot of room for the states to negotiate with the EPA and figure out their own timeline to meet these changes by 2030. It was incredibly detailed and very well thought out, and many states are actually continuing to move in that direction regardless. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat from Rhode Island, responded uh, in, a, in a press conference today uh, to this executive order. He, he talked here about the, the endangerment finding that we uh, discussed with Rebecca. That's uh, the legal underpinning. The, for all of this. Yes. Uh, about, you know, gutting uh, Obama's clean power plan, Trump's proposed deep cuts to the EPA and other climate and science-related agencies, and, uh, as White House says, uh, suggests, he's going to have, Donald Trump is and the EPA are going to have a legal fight on their hands to accomplish many of the things that are in this executive order today. The heart of the battle is going to be litigation. If you look at the Clean Power Plan, you start at the very top with the United States Supreme Court decision, Massachusetts versus EPA, that says carbon dioxide is a pollutant. You follow that with a decision by the uh, EPA that it's a dangerous pollutant. The endangerment finding both has been made and was, uh, it was promised by Administrator Pruitt that he would leave it intact. And I trust him on this because if they tried to open that question up, they'd get slaughtered. So there you have those two pieces in place, the law of the land and the requisite finding. That puts a legal duty on Administrator Pruitt to proceed with regulation of carbon dioxide. And unless he wishes to behave illegally, then he has to come up with something. And I don't think there's much he could come up with that would be more amenable to industry than the clean power plan. So I don't think he has a lot of real running room other than to delay for a bit and force that litigation. The problem is that if you're acting in bad faith, there are a variety of consequences that can ensue in a courtroom. So... Um, they're playing with fire here, and I think we're going to find that they're going to be burning their fingers uh, in the weeks and months ahead. But I think it's mostly going to be litigation. I think the strongest thing for us is going to be holding the funding for these agencies through the process. I don't think they're going to have the, um, either the courage or the bad judgment to shut down the government over trying to defund the protection for American citizens on environmental issues. So that means we will outblink them when it comes to uh, that issue. And I think at the end of April, you'll see a budget that uh, satisfactorily supports all of our environmental agencies. That was Sheldon Whitehouse uh, responding today to the uh, president's executive order, energy independence executive <laughs> order. When he says not much you can come up with that works better out better for uh, for industry than the clean power plan. Once again, this reminds me of frankly, Obamacare. You had with Obamacare an extremely conservative plan for health care. It was yeah. actually written by the Heritage Foundation. It was a right-wing plan. Mitt Romney instituted it in Massachusetts. So, of course, when Republicans finally get the chance to do whatever they want and, uh, you know, promise to do something that's uh, that's better, cheaper, covers more people, 
there's nothing there because this has already been about as conservative a plan as can be with the Affordable Care Act. Same thing with the clean power plan. Uh, really, he came up with Obama uh, put something together here that was, you know, acceptable to, you know, even to Republicans, at least who were honest about the idea that we have to curb carbon emissions. Uh, so same thing. Not much you can come up with that works better for industry. So we'll see what they come up with short of violating the law, the EPA, uh, violating the law by not enforcing the endangerment finding, by not cutting uh, uh, carbon dioxide. Yeah, this is something that will be a years-long litigation because not just for the Clean Power Plan, but for some of these other regulatory um, issues that that they're trying to begin to unravel. That's really difficult to do because a lot of it is embedded in law throughout the entire administration. So there's going to be a lot of litigation. A lot of uh, the environmental organizations have already come out. Sierra Club, the Natural Resources Defense Council, and others, Earth Justice, have all said that they are gearing up their litigation in order to stop and defend these regulations. So that's what I mentioned, you know, at the top of uh, uh, the interview there with uh, Rebecca Lieber, uh, why I'm feeling a little bit better today, because when I'm looking at this and I'm comparing it to all of the other things that the Trump administration has tried to do, here's the good news. They're really, really bad at this. They're really, really bad at governing. They so really far. are bad at policy. They don't understand these policies. Now, they're going to get away with stuff. They're going to they're going to stall what would otherwise be a, a much faster move to uh, to renewable energy. What would much you know be a, a, a faster reduction in emissions. But I think it's going to be a stall. It's going to be a delay at best as opposed to a reversal. Uh, one more point. I know we got to get to a break here, uh, Des. Uh, notice that the uh, Trump's executive order, now that the Republicans and Donald Trump, they're in charge of everything, they could do anything they want. Remember a few years ago when Fox News and Republicans were going on and on and on about incandescent light bulbs? <laughs> yes. Remember that? And uh, the new uh, regulations that they had to be more energy efficient and they were just furious. Obama is, is coming to take away your light bulbs. Yeah. Well, they could have restored that. They could have restored those regulations here in this executive order. Notice he didn't. Wonder why that is. Could it be because, in fact, those regulations led to innovation, led to changes uh, that uh, these uh, the the new bulbs, the new LED bulbs are uh, cheaper, longer lasting, longer lasting. Uh, they work. They look just like regular light bulbs. Now, everybody loves them because, you know, now they're about three bucks a piece. You put it in. You don't have to change a bulb for 20 years. And that was a very quick innovation curve when you think about it. I mean, it yeah. took very little time. Once that regulation was passed, it almost took, I think, two to three years before people had the same range or similar range to what they were getting with incandescent. They are not ready. They are not interested in giving up the savings that they have now. And it was in response to government regulations, much yes. as, you know, the, the auto industry has improved fuel efficiency in response to government standards, the very same government standards that now Donald Trump is has announced last week he wants to look at rolling back. Yeah. And um, this is something that academic studies have proven for decades now, that in, that manufacturers will not innovate unless they are forced to by regulation. It's everything from refrigerators to air conditioners to your car. It's all there. Regulation spurs innovation. 
All right, uh, that's uh, government lover, government regulation, <laughs> job killing, uh, job crusher, Desi Doyen. Thank innovation you, Des. lover. Uh, innovation lover. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with a little bit more Bradcast and some news of the day today. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non corporatized, commercial free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. What next? Yeah, what? What next? Gather you around. Everything's up to date in Kansas City. They've gone about as far as they can go. Well, not yet, but they're, they went and built a they're trying. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, Kansas's Republican-controlled legislature today approved an expansion of state health coverage to thousands of poor adults under the Federal Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, which the uh, GOP and President Donald Trump had promised to repeal, but they seem to be having trouble appealing it. And so now the very Republican state of Kansas says, uh, yeah, we would like to expand Medicaid. The state Senate voted 25 to 14 for a bill that would expand the state's Medicaid program that would cover up to 180,000 additional adults. The Kansas House uh, approved the same measure last month, meaning the bill will now go to hard right Republican Governor Sam Brownback. Uh, the governor, of course, has long been a vocal critic of the 2010 federal health care law championed by former President Barack Obama. AP reports Brownback declared in January that expanding Medicaid under the law would be, quote, airlifting onto the Titanic. <laughs> because, you know, Obamacare was going to die at they any minute. It's a death that. spiral. It's uh -huh. going to die any second. Despite the fact that millions of Americans not only have uh, got health care coverage now via the exchanges, but also via the Medicaid expansion. I think some 11 million Americans now, including in Republican states, but not Sam Brownback state. Because in Sam Brownback state, they actually passed a law to keep a governor from being able to come in and expand Medicaid. It has to be approved by the legislature for, you know, for them to accept this virtually free money from the federal government, which pays 90 percent of the uh, of the Medicaid expansion. The legislature has to approve that. Well, guess what? Now the legislature in Kansas has approved it. Brownback has not said whether he will veto the bill or not. Um, both Republicans and Democrats alike expect that he will. That he will veto? That he will veto it. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the bill had very strong bipartisan majorities in both chambers. Uh, AP says the votes reflected elections last year that put more Democrats and more moderate Republicans in the legislature. 
Uh, and, of course, add to that years of pressure from advocates for the poor and from hospitals and so forth. Brownback lost dozens of allies of, of his hard right so-called conservative allies in the uh, in the state house last November. We didn't get to cover it all that much because something else happened on that same day in November <laughs> that sort of distracted us a little bit since. But Brownback incredibly wildly unpopular lost a whole bunch of his tea party pals in the legislature in the legislature right now because this is actually so it passed the senate uh today uh 25 to 14 supporters of the bill would need 27 uh votes in the senate so just two more votes in the senate to override Brownback, if he does, uh, if he does veto this uh, this bill, 84 would be needed in the House to override. That gets the uh, two thirds majority necessary to override the veto. I think they receive something like 80 votes in the uh, in the House. So they're only four short there. Whether they do it or not now or if they have to wait for another election, wait till 2018, we'll see. But clearly. Uh, even the conservative state legislature in Kansas, uh, now that you know, now that they can restore, now, well, now that, that they Obama's can, gone, now that Obama's gone, we can give away uh, uh, a Medicaid. We just didn't want to do it under that last guy, I guess. Uh, the debate has been clouded by uncertainty about what Republicans would do in Congress with the health care policy. But now that that uh, push has, for the moment, collapsed. They're talking about bringing it back, by the way. Oh, of course. Um, but for now, it's it's cla- uh, it's collapsed, and so efforts to expand Medicaid are moving forward in Kansas and in Maine, which is governed by my good friend Paul LePage, the dumbest there. governor in the United States, the, in United States history. Oh, sorry. You forgot that part. <laughs> uh, and uh, in North Carolina, which now has a Democratic governor instead of their Republican one, who had been blocking this, and in Virginia. Uh, so I, I, I don't believe that we can wait for D.C. Senator Vicki Schmidt, a moderate Topeka, Kansas Republican and chairwoman of the Kansas Senate's Health Committee, said she supports expanding Medicaid now. Obama's Affordable Care Act encouraged states to increase the number of people eligible for Medicaid by promising to pay most of the costs and 31 states, including some led by Republican governors, have expanded Medicaid right now. Kansas's Medicaid program currently covers about 377,000 poor, disabled, and elderly residents. If they stop being so stupid and cruel, they can cover another 180,000 of their own uh, uh, residents there, who I think would be mighty grateful. Well, not only would they be mighty grateful as well, but I think that it's important to point out that when people are able to access health care, they are then better able to participate in a productive manner in the economy. You know, if all of your time and money is spent trying to fight an illness or trying to avoid going to a doctor, when you're finally able to go to a doctor, then you're able to join in with your job and to do better with your job search and, and actually participate in a productive economy. So it has economic benefits beyond the expense of just, hey, here's some poor people who finally get some health care. That's our liberal, left-wing, tree-hugging, <laughs> job-killing, Obama-loving producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks to you today. <laughs> My thanks to our guest, Rebecca Lieber of Mother Jones, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at Brad Blog. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. My thanks also to those of you who uh, who help us keep doing what it is we do here by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Your support is tremendously appreciated. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find, follow, share us, and harass us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.